Love that song, I'll Stand. And you guys stood in the song. You got it. That was awesome to see you guys respond to the song with the hands up, man. It's just... It's a beautiful thing when God's people worship it. Y'all are my favorite service. Have I ever told y'all that before? Y'all are my favorite service. Uh, and, and I may or may not say that to the other two, but I, I mean it when I say it to you. I just want you to know that. Like watching you guys worship and it's just the freedom in this place. Y'all, y'all are my favorite service. You are. And so if you're at the 8 o'clock, just disregard what I said at 8 o'clock. So if you got your Bibles, take your Bibles with me if you wouldn't turn with me to the book of Second Peter. So what can I say, what can I do, but offer this heart, O God, completely to you? To stand in all, right? I mean, it's, just, it's what we've been walking through, through these letters written by uh, Peter. You know, to walk in all every single day. To just be in all of, of who God is and what he's done in our lives. And to remain in those promises, truth. And it's something that, you know, since we've really begun, even going back to First Peter, we've talked about this battle of truth. And as we move into chapter 2, as we walk through this verse-by-verse study, Live for More is our series title, and you're going to hear that phrase many more times even beyond our study of Second Peter. He now transitions in Second 2. If you've been with us for the last three weeks, we know that he laid the foundation in chapter 1, just as he did in his first letter. He lays the foundation of truth. This is truth, precious promises, a, a precious like faith. He talks about you know, all things, that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so he's laid all of these bricks in our lives. And now the transition, understanding one of the main themes of the second letter, is addressing false teachers. We know that after... Truth is proclaimed, the enemy counters truth. It not just happens in the church, it happens in our lives every single day. And dwelled by the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, that he brings truth. He guides us according to God's word. That's why this book is so critical, because these are the handles in which the Lord, the Holy Spirit, takes our lives and leads us. But the enemy counters it. Let's be real. The battle of truth versus a lie. Spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6 goes into great detail. Then the life of the believer who desires to seek Christ, to live for Christ, and to glorify Christ, man, there is opposition. And the enemy tries to counter that with truth. And so we know he's transitioning here. If you were with us through this first chapter, he paints the picture of true, genuine faith. Seemingly great and precious promises of verse 4, a like precious faith of verse 1. And he now transitions with the word but into chapter 2 to address false teachings. But here's the deal. How do you recognize a counterfeit? How do you recognize something that is not real? The, re- the way that you recognize a counterfeit is what? Knowing the real thing. Knowing truth, right? Those who have, have been given the assignment of, of, of recognizing counterfeit money, what do they go by? They study truth. They know, they, they know what the real thing looks like. And so knowing what the real thing looks like allows them to recognize something that doesn't match up. I grew up in a house where my mom would always buy the off-brands. You know what I'm talking about, where she would go to Food Line and buy all the off-brands. Coke, I think their statement says the real thing. And I would always tell her, Dr. Cola is not Coke, Mom. You can, you can buy it and save 30 cents, but Dr. Cola, Dr. Perky is not Dr. Pepper, okay? Now, I, I'm just going to share some of my own personal stuff here this morning. Mountain Shouting is not Mountain Dew, Okay. It tastes like Mountain Dew that had ice cubes in it that melted 30 minutes ago. Mountain Shouting is not... And let's just talk about cereal for a moment, okay? (laughs) Fruit Loops. Those are awesome. Fruit rounds are not Fruit Loops, okay? 
And let me give you the worst one, tricks. Remember tricks? You know, tricks are for kids, the little bunny on the front. My mom came home with a box of pranks with a raccoon on the front of the cereal box. <laughs> Those aren't tricks, Mom. And don't have the toy in it that the commercial promised me as well. I need tricks. But she didn't care. But I knew the real thing. I know what the truth was. And Halloween, let's just talk about Halloween for a second. We had Halloween this past week. I didn't get good candy for Halloween. You know my whole issue with even Easter. I got bad. Now my son comes on. Grandkids come along. We used to get pencils and erasers for Halloween. Now my mom's buying full-size Snickers for my son for Halloween. I'm like, why for grandkids don't you operate the same way that you operated when we were kids? Can I get an amen, maybe? (laughs) Grandparents, stop doing that, grandparents. Stop. You're putting us in a bad position. We're trying to raise these children. You're just countering it. We're trying to give truth. And they're like, no, eat a big Snickers. Who cares? Eat a big Snickers. Don't eat a big Snickers. Because I didn't eat a big Snickers. I was drinking Dr. Cola. All right, take your Bibles. I'm sorry. I'm sharing some personal stuff this morning. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting bitterness. Second Peter chapter 2. I'm just seeing it more and more. Like, why, why for him, but not, all right, Second Peter chapter 2. We know that this is a warning of Scripture, right? It's not just Peter warning us of false teachers. We know that all throughout, so we, Jesus, right? I mean, go to the words of Jesus, Matthew 24, 4. He says, take heed that no one deceives you. He goes a little bit further, Matthew 24, 23 and 24, and he says this, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, are there, do not believe it, for false Christ, lowercase c, and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. We find these words, Jude 17 and 18, but you, beloved, remember the words, there's that word, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. The apostle John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but what does he say? But test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We know that even in his first letter, right? I mean, you go to 1 Peter chapter 5, there's that verse that many people can quote. Verse 8 and 9, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a what? What does he say? Like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What does it say? Resist him. How? By being steadfast in the faith. So we know that verses 12 through 15 of the, of the first chapter, that's what Peter is saying. As long as God has me in this tent, I'm going to keep teaching truth and teaching truth and proclaiming truth so that you'll be steadfast in the faith. Understanding that every day in the life of the believer, we're either walking in truth or we're following a lie. Either big G, God, Christ is sinning upon our throne, our little G, and that can take the shape in many ways, is what we're seeking. So truth versus lies. This is in us every single day. Priesthood of the Holy Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is living inside of me. And he is the spirit of, the Bible says, it's the spirit of truth. And so in my life every day, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, I stand at crossroads. My emotions can lie to me. My feelings can lie to me. This world definitely lies to me. And in standing at the crossroads, do I walk in truth? Do I get distracted by a lie? With your Bibles in hands, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in reverence to reading God's Word. As he now transitions, he laid the foundation of truth in chapter 1 for two weeks, just two weeks. We're going to spend chapter 2 
as he now transitions into not only identifying those who teach false things, but the outcome of those who teach false things. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to actually back up to chapter 1, reread verse 20 and 21. So go back to the first chapter. The last two verses is really critical to now the first 11 verses of chapter 2. Look at what he says. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so he identifies the source. The source is what? Not the heart of man, but the heart of God. Yes, through the hands of sinful men. But the heart of God inspiring for the truth to be written. And now look at what he says, beginning word of chapter 2. But... Here's the transition, but there were also false prophets among the people. He's now going backwards, right? We'll go back to the Old Testament. Even the Old Testament, there were false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Notice that phrase. Even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the word of the ungodly. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Let me read that again. Then the Lord knows how to deliver, rescue the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, your inspired, infallible, and errant word. Lord, we thank you that every single word we find in this book, Lord, we believe has been inspired by you. And so, Lord, help us walk into this truth. Lord, help us desire this truth. Help us feed upon this truth every single day of our lives, recognizing what is at stake. Recognizing that, yes, we proclaim a God who loves us and is for us and has a plan in our lives. But at the same time, we recognize, as your word teaches, an adversary, an enemy that lies, that deceives, that destroys and so, Lord, we ask you, Lord, that, that, that through the presence of your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, may we walk in that. May you confirm it. Lord, when the checks need to be there, may the alarms of the Holy Spirit sound loud. And may we be sensitive to that. For your glory and for your honor, for your glory and for your honor, may the name of Jesus be lifted high in our lives, in our church, in our families. May the name of Jesus be lifted high. We pray it, we ask it, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. 
So we know, again, he's building upon the end of chapter 1. We're going to walk through these passages. Let me read that again, verse 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And now we find the first word of chapter 2, but, but there were also false prophets among you. Go back to the Old Testament. Go back to the story of Israel. You will find God's prophets speaking truth, false prophets spreading lies. And he says, just as there were false prophets among those people, there will also be false prophets among you. Uh, Let me give you a cross-reference to go back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy. You can go to Deuteronomy 13. I want to read a couple verses here. In verses 1 through 5, this kind of puts in the context what he says there in that opening line, but there were also false prophets among the people referring back. It says this, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign of the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after, notice this right here, other, what does it say? Other lowercase g gods. Now, what happens many times, right, is we read the Old Testament and we think about how Israel would be walking with God, but then all of a sudden they're distracted and they're seeking a false God. Now, if you're like me, our minds go to, okay, this weird, like, gold calf or something, and that's what they're seeking. And many times that played out that way. But if you're not careful, when you think about the Old Testament, you'll think about, well, I'll never seek an object. I'll never seek a gold calf and put it on my fireplace, and that's what I'm living for. But false gods, lowercase gods, can take many forms in our lives. Let's be real. When we think about the warning of the Old Testament, we've got to bring that to us now. A lowercase g seeking false gods can be money. It can be possessions. It can be your position. It can be anything that you find your identity, your worth, your value in that's not the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what happens is to us is what? We all have it. We all have this sinful nature. We know, yes, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the presence of God living within me, but there's a battle. There's a battle between flesh and spirits. Flesh wants to bring Heath to the surface. Flesh wants to elevate Heath. Flesh wants to seek the things that only Heath can see. So there's a battle there. And that lowercase g can be many different things. Let me tell you something. It only has to be sinful. And in the position that I'm in, a lowercase g could be ministry. A lowercase g could be this church. A lowercase g could be uh, the the next season of, of building a building. The enemy does not care. It could be your family. It could be your kids. It could be your husband. It could be your wife. He'll take the blessings of God because the enemy has no original material. He takes all the things that God has given and he provides counterfeit. And what does he do? Opens up paths for us to seek things that are not of the Lord. And so the warning is true here, but the warning is also true in Peter's time, but the warning is true in our time. Look at what he says here in verse 1, 2 Peter 2, 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, and as, even as there were false prophets among you. Look what it says. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. What is he saying to his people? Be on guard. Be on guard. Be sensitive to the truth. Because many times these false teachings come in the door secretly, deceptively, subtly. And when the Holy Spirit begins to sound the alarm in you, let me just say right up front, pay attention to that. And you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. When something hits you and the Holy Spirit goes, whoa, 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 pay attention to that. You know, the enemy downplays that. 
But that's the spirit of truth living within us. Because what does he say? Be on guard because they secretly bring in, look, notice what it says here, destructive heresies. The literal translation there is heresies of destruction. It literally means utter ruin. Lies that lead somebody to utter ruin. What is he talking about? I'll tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about hell. He says, let's recognize what's at stake here. That there are many who follow a different route where it's not Christ. And what is the ultimate destination? It is utter ruin. It's interesting here that word destruction is the same word that's used in Matthew 7, 13, where Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to, what does it say, that leads to condemnation, judgment, hell. And there are many, you'll see this again, who go in by it. What is Peter saying? Peter saying, listen, when the truth of God's word is replaced with the opinions and motives of a man, there are eternal consequences. And be on guard to those things. Proverbs 35 and 6, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and be found a liar. Look at the last part of verse 1 of chapter 2 of Second Peter. But there are also false prophets among you people. Among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Look at what it says here. Even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Now, what is Peter saying here? But Peter is not indicating that these false teachers belong to God. That's not what he's saying. How do you know? Because he's already said that they have denied him as Lord and Savior. And as a result of that, what does he say? It will bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, here's the scary thing. Look at verse 2. And many... And many, same word that's used in Matthew 7, 13. That many to the broad way will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. What is he saying? The way of truth. What is the way of truth? Who is the way of truth? Let me ask you, who is the way of truth? The way of truth is who? It's Jesus. So the question is this, do we truly believe that Jesus is not just a way, the way. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. But understand, we live in a world that they don't want to hear that truth. And he may be your way, but there are other ways. Listen, we have to come back to say, you know what? Hey, I walk according to God's word. And that's a hard thing, right? Because my humanness, my flesh can even kind of say, well, I don't understand that. But understand, this is not a biblical doctrine. I mean, this is not a Baptist doctrine. Whoops, my bad. This is a biblical doctrine is what I'm trying to say. Did you get what I was trying to say? Edit that on live stream. What is he saying? He says, many will follow these false teachings. And how do we recognize them? Where he says there's usually some common denominators that we have to be aware of that are consistent with these teachings. And the common denominators scratch our flesh. Common denominators such as self-centeredness, our pride, or here it is, a desire to exalt yourself. Look at what he says, 2 Peter 2, 2, and many will follow their destructive ways. That's the New King James Version. I'm going to give a couple versions here. Anytime we stand and read, by the way, someone asked me this past week, it's always New King James Version. That's the Bible that I'm reading from when we stand and read Scripture. It's not that I have some ultra conviction to New King James Version. My dad bought me this Bible when I went into ministry, and so I always preach from it. So there's my explanation to that. But listen to some of these other translations. If you have the American Standard Version, it says this. And many will follow their... I looked this up on YouTube. Somebody say it. Oh, don't say that. Don't say that. Lascivious. Did I get it? 
Praise God for YouTube pronunciation. The NIV says that many will follow what? Their depraved conduct. Who's got my King James? Who are my King James people? You grew up with King James. You got a King. The thou's, the arts, you're going to read it every single time. King James, anybody out here? Where my suit set? All right, here we go. Look at what it says. <laughs> and many shall... <laughs> my dad's going to disown me, King James. <laughs> and many shall follow their pernicious ways. ESV says this. And many will follow their sensuality. So again, what is he talking about? He's talking about the core of our sinful nature. Truly, when you look at all these different words that are being used, it ultimately means unrestrained lewdness. That's out of the heart of the flesh. So I have a heart that is sinful, that is prideful, that wants to elevate not Christ, but wants to elevate themselves. Listen to how Jude describes them. Jude 4 says this, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny, what do they deny? They deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it always bring us back to? Listen, I don't care what denomination, I don't care what religion, the question is this, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe John 14, 6? Do you believe that he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Listen, we can talk about all the different names of churches that are out there. The question we need to ask is, what do you believe about Jesus? Because that's what he says here. Be aware of anything that goes against that. That the only way for us as sinful men and women to come to a holy God is through the substitutionary death of Christ. The sacrificial death of Christ. The innocent dying for the guilty. The sinless dying for the sinful. The holy dying for the unrighteous. And so Peter says, stand in that. Stand in that. Look at what he says. He says, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth, Jesus, will be blasphemed. Verse 3, by covetousness, they will exploit you with what? Deceptive words. The word covetousness could also be translated greed. And so what is Peter doing? He's identifying now the motive of false teachers. He says, behind false teachings, there is greed, literal translation, an uncontrolled desire for more. Whether it's money, whether it's wealth, whether it's position, whether it's, it's, it's raising myself, And the word deceptive there, this is interesting, is where we get our English word plastic. Have you ever seen something before and you're like, man, this is the real thing, and you start to feel it and you start to mess with it, and all of a sudden you say, no, this is just plastic. Nothing wrong with plastic, by the way. If you're a maker of plastic, God bless you, love our water bottles. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Something that's not the real thing. So Peter says, be aware of this. Walk in truth. And so, again, this comes down to disciplines, right? I mean, if we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, this comes down to, Lord, I seek you, I desire, I desire the path that you want for me, and my flesh wants to lead me a different way. The enemy wants to lead me a different way. So every single day at 8 o'clock, at 9 o'clock, at 10 o'clock, at 11 o'clock, I'm standing at a crossroads. I'm standing at a crossroads, and my flesh is screaming. Those uncontrolled desires, they are screaming. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, in that moment, there is a decision to be made. Will I submit? Will I surrender? Recognize that what is in front of me is bigger than what I can control with my willpower, with my self-determination, but it's under the control of an almighty God. So can I surrender and submit and say, God, I walk in truth, 
not in a lie. So what is critical? God's word, the renewing of the mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says what? The renewing of the mind. This is me in God's word. This is me putting my eyes on truth. How do I know a counterfeit? I know counterfeit when I know truth. And so as I'm walking in Jesus and growing in knowledge of God's word, if I'm spending time on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday, and that can look many different ways, but discipline to put my eyes on truth because I'm surrounded by lies. My sinful nature leads me to lie. My emotions, my feelings lead me to lie. And so God center me on truth, recognizing that the Holy Spirit will never lead me to do anything that goes against God's word. So the first question always when it comes over us, what does God's word have to say about? Because understand, if it goes against the teachings of God's word, I can, I, I can tell you straight up, the Holy Spirit ain't leading you to do it. We serve a God of truth, but we have an enemy that lies. A roaring lion. I've talked to you about this before. You know, if you've watched any nature show, you see the way they hunt. They are patient. They wait. And they wait for the prey to be vulnerable. And then what do they do? They pounce. Are we in truth? Let me give you some verses. Write these down. If you don't got a pen, never mind. Write these down. Good gracious. Here it says this. Psalm, 18, uh, Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Think about that. Loving kindness and truth go before you. Psalm 25, 10. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Psalm 57, 9 and 10. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches into the heavens and your truth into the clouds. Psalm 86, 15, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Are you in a storm today? Are you struggling today? Recite Psalm 86, 15, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Are you thankful for the mercy of God? Amen. A God of compassion, long-suffering. In our unfaithfulness, long-suffering in our mistakes. A God who has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. That's truth. And the enemy counters it. Here's another one, Psalm 117.2. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. I'm going to keep going. Y'all cool with that? Y'all cool? I don't care. John 1.14 says this. And the word became flesh, and and flesh dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, who Jesus, glory, as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of what? Truth. Jesus. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's another one. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father. He will give you another helper, capital H, that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17. The Spirit of, say it with me. Say it again. The Spirit of whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Can I get an amen? The presence of God. I'm not going to leave you alone as an orphan. What does Jesus proclaim? Mind-boggling to these disciples. It is better for you that I leave. I've always been intrigued by that statement that the physical Jesus in human form would look upon these disciples and say, it is far better for you that I go away. In your walk. I mean, I think all of us would say, man, if I just walked by Jesus and saw the love of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, man, my life would be transformed. Think about what Jesus said. No, it is better for me to go so that now I won't be walking beside you. I'm going to be living in you. And the Holy Spirit, the presence of God dwelling, leading, how in tune are we to that? Man, if you're anything like me, you're headstrong, right? You wake up, I got things to do. 
I've got things to accomplish. I've got tasks to get done. How sensitive are we in those moments, the quiet moments? When the Lord brings someone maybe in front of us, but we're too busy. Are we sensitive? Do they go, no, the Holy Spirit is speaking. The Holy Spirit is sounding the alarms. Lord Jesus, give me the words. May they see Christ in me. He makes a promise here. Look at verse 3. God has promised judgment to those who mislead his people. Next part, by covetousness, they will spoil you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. What is he saying? From the first pronouncement of judgment, go back to the Garden of Eden, the first prophecy that is found when the serpent deceives Adam and Eve, God makes a, 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 a statement where he says, there will be judgment. And what does he say? He's promised destruction to those who distort his truth, but he's promised protection to those who walk in it. And notice what he does here. Verses 4 through 8 is one sentence in the original language, in the Greek language. So what he does here is he gives us three examples. Go back to the Old Testament. He gives us three examples of uh, found in the book of Genesis that, again, align to this truth. Look at what he says, verse 4. Four, or you could translate that sense, God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. If you were with us through this first study, you find this passage, and we'll read it again. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, 19, and 20. There are different interpretations of what this means. On that Sunday, I shared what I believe that the Bible is teaching us here. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Verse 19, By whom also he went and preached. The word preached is not evangelon. It is declaring victory. He went and declared victory. Where did he go? He declared victory to the spirits in prison who were formerly disobedient, who once the divine long suffering waiting in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. You go back to that study, right, that before the flood, there were those demons that, that God bound to prison until the day of judgment. This passage is speaking of, it's hard for our minds to wrap around, that, that Jesus went and declared victory. That when he died upon the cross, they were waiting for Satan to arrive with the keys. Instead, Jesus came with a different message. He declared victory. And so what is Peter saying? Just as God was faithful in that, he is faithful now. Jude 6 and 7 kind of speaks into the same scene. It says this, And the angels who do not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these. And so Jude also uses the same illustration. And so he talks about the judgment of the fallen angels, but now as you move into verse 5, he talks about the judgment of the ancient world before the flood. Look what he says. And also, or since, God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So he uses the fallen angels as an example of God's judgment. He uses the flood before Noah as an example of God's judgment. But now he speaks of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at verse 6 through 8. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those afterward who would live ungodly, delivered the righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Verse 8, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Let me read you just a picture of that in Genesis 19, verse 24 and 25. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. From the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the city, and what grew on the ground. What do you find in all three of these examples? You find Peter reiterating that God is faithful to judge the wicked. God is faithful to judge those who seek to mislead God's people. But God is faithful to preserve those who seek him. 
What do you see? God's judgment. You see God's grace. Judgment to the ancient world who chose to live in sin. Grace to Noah and his family because they sought him. Judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness, but grace to Lot because of his righteousness. And look at what he declares in verse 9 and 10 as we bring us to a close. God's power to judge, but God's power to preserve. It says, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Let me read that again. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. He says, be on guard. And the first question that has to be asked is Jesus. Regardless of where it's coming from, regardless of what they're saying, Jesus, okay, Jesus. Is he the way, the truth, and life? No man comes to the Father except through him, Jesus. And then each day to just say, Lord, man, I'm in this journey. I'm in this battle. I'm in a storm. And Lord, the enemy is lying. Secure me. Steadfast in the faith. What does that mean, steadfast in the faith? That I'm holding my ground. I can't see it. I don't know how it's all going to add up, but I know it because God said it. And he's faithful. His timing is perfect. He's not early. He's not late. He's always on time. And so the question is this, in my restlessness, in my anxiety, in my worry, because I don't know where it's going and I don't know where it's going to lead, can I stay in him? Can I keep turning to him? Can I keep surrendering and submitting and being sensitive to the truth? Or am I going to run and find my own way? Am I going to run and try to fill my own gap? Am I going to run and try to fix my own problems? Or am I going to say, Lord, I wait for you. I wait for you. I trust in you. And Lord, I know that in your timing, you work all things according to the good of those who love you and are called to your purpose. It's a battle. I said it last week, I'll say it again. The moment we leave this place, it's coming in waves. It's coming in waves. And those lies can stick. What calls out the lie? It's truth. So it's the truth of God's word that centers us with every head bowed and every eye closed. It all comes back to Christ each week, man, every single time. All these promises, all these truths, I mean, Peter says it. That the core of these false teachings are teaching something that goes against the doctrine of Christ. The salvation of Christ alone. This is not our way, this is God's way. So the question I ask each and every week, do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? You've heard me say it before, it's not practicing religion, this is walking in a relationship. The one from historical accounts who came, who lived as a human being, but who died on a cross perfect, sinless. So that he might be a substitute for you and I before a holy God. The Bible declares there is no other way. There's no other way. So a simple question right now, you and you before the Lord. If God called you home right now, do you have that security? That's all I'm going to ask. Do you have that security? Do you have that assurance? What would your explanation be? I tried to live a good life. I tried to be a good husband. I tried to be a good mom. Would you honestly be able to say before the throne of God, I stand holy. I stand forgiven. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. I professed him as my Savior. I walked with him as my Lord. Again, maybe you're hearing the Lord stirring in your heart. And even right now, maybe just crying out, Lord, I need you. I tried it all. I need you. I cry out to Jesus alone. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Turn from my sins. I call upon you as my Savior. Lord, I... I declare 
Lord, the gospel truth that you died for me and you rose again, and I invite you into my life to live in me, to go before me, to be my king, to be my Lord, to believers. What lie is the enemy trying to use, and is it sticking upon you? Are there some immediate go-to places that you can rebuke that lie? It's found in God's Word. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for the promises we have in you. Like precious faith, we share that. Different journeys, different stories, but a like precious faith. So, Lord, right now I know in this room across the board, many different struggles, many different seasons, many different storms. But I know the common thread through it all is that the enemy is countering your work in our lives, lying against us. May we stand fast in our faith more than conquerors because Jesus conquered the grave. May Christ be glorified. We pray it, we ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand as we begin to sing.